Welcome to Someone to Talk to, a podcast about faith and life with Jason Messman and Josh King. Jason and Josh have been friends for over six years, and for the past several years, they have gotten together almost every other week to discuss life, faith, marriage, church, parenting, etc., over a cup of coffee. During one of these fellowship meetings, Jason suggested recording the conversations and making them available as a podcast, and this podcast is a result of that suggestion. Well, good morning. Hey, good morning. We're back. Yeah, after a little bit of a spring break hiatus. Right. So, uh, so you wrecked me. Well, um, I was going to ask. You started reading Cast, didn't you? Oh my goodness! I wasn't sure that I was prepared to talk about this yet this morning, but well, now you have to. But well, now I have to. Um, <laughs> wrecked me. Absolutely. Have you have you finished wrecked it? Wrecked me. I'm about uh, probably two thirds of the way through. Are you reading um, it or are you listening to it? I'm listening to Is it. Is she reading it? Is Isabel? Yes. Reading? Okay. Yeah, read by the author. Um, okay. I prefer my audiobooks read by the author because they they know what they're saying. So I always feel like it's a better read when you read it as read by when you listen to it as read right. by the author. Right? They know when to inflect and when to stress particular words or syllables. Or so there's always a little bit of a difference. Um, yeah, uh, wrecked me. Um, so a little catch up, Josh recommended this book a couple of few weeks ago, uh, called cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I think it's uh, in the podcast episode, like part one of me telling my story. I, so if I believe you go it back, is in part one. You can look at part one. I believe that is, that is, I believe that is true. Um, the premise of cast is that, uh, the American, race system as we know it today is a caste system mm-hmm. just like that found in um india and or nazi germany um, that's the one that and, got me and i know it's not a word that we often use when we talk about race relations mm-hmm. in america but to listen to her to listen to her premise and to listen to her supporting information and to even today to look around and see the things that are going on, you can't describe it as anything, but if I'll tell you this, if you struggle to understand, if you're one of those people who sees a person, whatever color they might be killed by the police. And then you go, well, don't, you know, just comply. Don't resist. Right. And, and you're, you're a hundred and I'm not saying that we shouldn't support our our leos because we should in most cases but if you're somebody who sees especially when a black or brown person is killed by cops and you you don't think that's an issue then you don't understand like the structure that this country is really built on you know what i mean like this book will open your eyes to that world in a way that you just can't possibly fathom or at least it did for me. I I think it's bigger than that. I think if you're not... I think that's what my eyes were open to, was that if you're not Black in America, then you don't have any idea. Right. I had absolutely no idea. I grew up on military. I used to always say, um, I don't see color. Right. Right. I grew up in military bases. We were always surrounded by extremely diverse populations. Um, All of my friends growing up were from all over the world. We always knew everybody. Um, And that was always one of my defenses is, well, I don't see color. I have all of this diverse experience. The problem with not seeing color is that it blinds you to people's struggles. Mm -hmm. I literally, I like, I knew, I knew that um, race relations in America were bad for a time and are still difficult in certain areas and certain situations. Um, But that was kind of the gist of it. I had no idea the expansiveness of just how bad things really are. Yeah. When you, when you hear things like, um, (laughs) When we teach about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. 
it's presented as like the most horrible situation to ever exist on the planet. And you kind of, you see the pictures, right. And you hear the stories. And I remember we had a Holocaust survivor come and speak at our high school. Um, and it was like, even then, like the amount of information you can get, can gain from actually hearing a Holocaust survivor speak is way more and way more um, severe and more enlightening than anything that you learned in your education. Mm-hmm. Um, but to hear things like when she talks in the book about how Nazi Germany's race relations strategy was based on that of the United States, right. only they weren't willing to go as severe as we were, mm-hmm. you go, you have to stop and go, wait a minute, what are you talking about? It wasn't that bad. That's not what they taught us in high school. That's not what's really going on. And then to hear the, the stories and the supporting information and all of the stuff that she provides for you in this book really opens your eyes to how difficult things really were and how difficult, not even the right word, how grotesque mm-hmm. and upsetting. Like there are parts of this book that literally turn my stomach. Yeah. Literally. I cannot imagine, could not imagine. And it's really opened me up to the fact that we live in a country where, right. This, the story is always told by the winner mm-hmm. and we as white America who still runs the country have done a real disservice to those races and people that have had a difficult time here because we have absolutely whitewashed their stories mm-hmm. so that to we make don't us feel better so that we don't look as bad as it really was <laughs> like seriously we're deflecting talking about the holocaust and talking about how bad germany was was an abs is an absolute deflection so that you don't look at america and go oh it was like that here too oh we did that same thing oh it was just as bad or worse well, and, and when you, when you mentioned that we, you know, Nazi Germany looked to the United States, what they really were studying was our legal system and how we were able to create an unofficial caste system through the legal system, through things like Jim Crow era laws, but how we were, how the United States was able to so successfully separate out populations based on, and it's easy when it's based, and, and she even talks about how it was harder in Germany because you know, some Jewish people or Hebrew people, the only thing, the differentiating thing was that they had, you know, maybe darker hair and darker eyes. Whereas in the United States, it's very clear who's right. white and who's black in most cases. And, and then she, you know, part of it that strikes me too, is how she puts the other races in there as like this spectrum of the cast and how it puts other races in this position to d- declare and defend their whiteness. And it's so, it's like, and this is why I think we, you know, it's been whitewashed is it's, it's like you keep saying it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's hard to read. It does create, you know, they call that white guilt. It, it, it but for me, I, I, I take it as that opportunity to go be, I can be an advocate. I can be an ally because I'm aware of it. I can listen and be supportive and do, I have said this before. I want my, my number one goal in life especially with like women, when I meet with women through work and now, you know, through minorities or through, through people of, of a different walk is to just be that, to at least be one positive experience with a white dude, (laughs) you know, like if I can be one positive experience with somebody who didn't put you down or didn't hit on you or didn't degrade you or who got your pronouns right or whatever, like if, and I can't think of a single thing that is more like Jesus than doing that at all. Right. For me, it's really opened my eyes to you. Uh, right. Not, well, I guess to the whitewashing of my own life, right? Like I thought I knew and I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so now to look at my experiences and to look at right my life and the people that I know, it's really given me right different level of compassion Mm -hmm. i think and understanding as to the struggles that people really go through and 
to talk about the whitewashing of America, the fact of the matter is it shouldn't surprise anybody Mm-mm. because we do that with everything and not necessarily whitewash it. Um, right. Whitewashing becomes the term of right looking at colored situations through the experience of our whiteness and saying, Oh, it's not all that bad. Right. We, well, and we have a, we have a tendency to do that with so many other things too, that go even we, beyond color. It's like, look, oh, at this, it's, like, that's what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. We do that with every, we do that with every personal experience and not based on color, but based on, we don't want to look at it or we don't want to see it that way. Or we want to paint it in a light that isn't as bad as it really is. And that's the, Right, we put on rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. and we go through our life and we go through these experiences, looking at things through a perception that isn't real. Well, look at there's two. Here's two two real real world real time examples of this. Number one is school shootings. There there's a group of people in the United States who literally believe that some of the most horrific school shootings in our country's history were not real. And it's. I think that's based in this inability to believe that something so horrible as somebody walking into an elementary school and killing six-year-olds happened. I don't think it's, I think most of the people who believe that kind of stuff are not malicious, awful people. I think it's just, they, they cannot get their brain around the horribleness of that. Two is COVID. And without really digging into that, how many people though don't think 500,000 people have died from COVID or want to believe that, yeah, maybe it was COVID, but they had all these other things. It's like, I can't get my head around the loss of 500,000 lives. So I'm going to make it different than that or better than that. Or, you know, they, they had something else. They had, you know, some underlying health condition. Basically what we're saying is those people would have died anyway. And I wasn't going to be upset about that. So why would I be upset about it now? Just because it's COVID. But you're right, Jason. I mean, we do this with so many things where it's, it's, we take an experience that's so horrible and hard to understand and we put it through a filter that makes it easier to digest, even if that means changing the facts. And to your well, what's point, what's worse is we it doesn't okay. even have to be it doesn't even have to be large scale. Right. We do it with literally everything. We do it with our driving. I wasn't speeding that much. I didn't cut you off. My my time was more important than yours. Uh <laughs> Thanks. I totally just cut you off. Um, no. <laughs> I meant driving. <laughs> right? Right. Um, we do it with our driving. We do it with, um, I had another example, uh, and I totally just slipped my mind. Um, we do it with everything, like literally everything. Um, every experience we have, we prioritize, right, ourselves and our stuff. And if it's a bad situation, if it's if it can be deemed negative in any way, shape, or form, we filter it through our own filters that justify our own behavior, mm-hmm. so that we don't have to look in the mirror and say, "You know what? That sucks. What I did was crappy." Right, and that sucks. Yeah, right. How do we get to a place? When do we get to a place where we can honestly, truthfully look at ourselves in the mirror and say, "Dude, that sucks. I suck." There's something wrong here. I need help. Well, so, okay, let's look at it this way. So you're married. I'm married. We do it in our relationships. What works better in a marriage and in a relationship? So your spouse comes to you and says, hey, this behavior that you have is hurts me. What works better in that moment to try to gaslight them and make it sound like you didn't do it or it wasn't that bad or it's just the way you are or to own it, to accept responsibility and then commit to changing that behavior. And I'll tell you 13 years into my marriage, I still do. I don't know. Was it the former or the latter? I can't remember which way I said those, but I still do the one where I want to go. No, I didn't really do that. No, it's really not that bad. No, I didn't intend for that. Right. Or I had a reason, just, or here's right. my, this is why, or, Oh, you know how, how quickly we want to justify stuff. And I'll tell you too, the thing that, that hit me the most about Isabel's book was this idea that like the, the base, if you're, if you're like caste doesn't exist still, maybe it did, maybe it did through Jim Crow era. Maybe it certainly did through slavery, but it cannot exist today. Then you have to go. The reason why castes still thrive is because in america if you're poor and white 
you can go, at least I'm not black. And that is the sustaining momentum of a caste system is I can be poor and black and live in a trailer or have a really bummer life or, or work three part-time jobs or, or make 750 because I live in a state that has the federal unemployment, whatever it is, you can, you can have that and you can go, at least I'm not black. And here's the new one. At least I'm not LGBTQ or at least I'm not trans or at least I'm, you know, there's always this, I'm better than someone. And as long as that exists, that mindset, and that's what bums me out is if you, and this is what we talk about a ton. If you have Jesus, there is no need to do that. Jesus just says you're saved and I love you. And it provides that whole, it fills that space in you that needs to be filled when you say, at least I'm not black, at least I'm not trans, at least I'm not, you know, and I think, I just, I wish people could see that that's, you know, there's scenes in the chosen where Jesus like di- directly head, head on handles those situations of culture and, and um, you know, ethnicity and does these things that he should. I mean, it's not just the chosen, let's call it the New Testament because that's really what it is, but there's scenes in the it's New Testament. It's illustrated so well. Right. The chosen. In the chosen, correct. But there's, there's scenes in, in, in the New Testament where Jesus does things that were just so unthinkable but we have to run it through that same context of the people who were in power versus the people who weren't the people who have privilege versus the people who weren't, because even if you were a poor Jew in that time, at least it was better than being a Gentile or it was better than being a, you know, fill in the blank. And even if you were under the control of Roman, at least you weren't Roman, right? Like, cause they saw them through a different lens. So yeah, you're not, I mean, dude, it's, that book, it's why I've made this commitment this year to try to read books or to read books because I read, you know, in the mornings, it's my time to read. And I, I'm reading books from non-white dudes this whole year. And I'll tell you, not all of them are winners. I'm reading a stinker right now. And it's a book by a, a, a pastor, um, African-American. It's, it's a stinker. I don't get it. I, I think it's not very good. I'm not going to say who it is or what it is, but. Yeah, don't recommend it if it's not good. I don't but want, it could I don't be want my, to have to feel compelled to read it. And my wife now is going, why do you keep reading it? And I keep going, well, one, I may not be getting it, right? Like maybe I'm just not getting it. But two, it doesn't, just because I don't think it's very good doesn't mean it's not a, a, a viewpoint worth observing. Oh, and it's still, yes, absolutely. Right. And it still holds value. Right. I, and it's a clunker, dude. I wish I could, I mean, maybe <laughs> offline we'll talk. It's so, it's, and it's value may not, you may not understand or you may not get if you walk away from it. Right. Right. I've, I've have always felt that way with movies. Um, like I'm one of those people that even if a movie is awful, I'm invested. Dude, like, I've, I've got to get one through movie. it. I've, I have, Two, I have two movies in my the course of my lifetime that I have been like, this is so awful, I cannot finish it. Um, and one of them is an, an unpopular opinion. So I would no, be tell me, you have to tell to me. Say no, it. tell me. We have to get into it now. This is what, uh, the, Napole- remember. This is people overhearing our conversation in a coffee shop. So Napoleon this is- Dynamite. Really, Napoleon Dynamite is the second to worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life, wow. and I. I turned it off and walked away and I've never, you know what, actually that explains so much. It's awful. That really, I can't believe somebody spent money to make that film. Awful. I don't think they spent a lot. I think you should rest easy. (laughs) They shot it with a cell phone camera. Um, And the second one, the worst movie I've ever seen, um, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. I think I sat through that. I sat through both of them. I enjoyed it Napoleon Dynamite. Awful Napoleon Dynamite was so bad. And I know I'm going to get pushed back for that because for some reason people love it. My wife thinks it's Romeo a and Michelle. fantastic piece of Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, I like it. I like it too. My wife thinks it's a fantastic piece of art history. So I, I grew up in Chihuahua, just north of Spokane, where you and I live. And just a little bit further north of that is a town called Kettle Falls. And Kettle Falls, between Colville and Kettle Falls, was a drive-in movie theater. And I think it's still there. I think they still try to keep it going. Yeah, but it, it's still it, there. It was the rage. And especially when you got your license, it was like cool to go there. And so I had just got my license. And my, my best friend at the time, Kenny, and I, uh, I took my 
stepdad's Ram charger and we drove up and the thing about the Ram charger that was so great is you could, um, you could sit on the hood. It actually had the perfect hood to like sit on and lean against the windshield. So we pulled up, we sit on the windshield and they always do a double feature up there. And I couldn't tell you what the first movie was. I know we really wanted to see it. So we sat through that. And then the second movie was species two. And I had seen the first species and, you know, I was a teenager. So at the time it's got, I think it's Natasha Henstridge or whatever her name is. And she's naked in the whole thing. So it's like a teenager. You're like, this is amazing. The second one is so bad. We laugh. We, I mean, we didn't have anything else better to do. Nowhere else to go. We could have sat there and just made fun of the movie and just talked and hung out. But it was so bad. We drove out of the drive-in movie theater in the middle of it. It was garbage. That movie, it was just there. Oh, and I've seen a lot of clunkers. I was just telling my wife how we used to, or no, I was telling Ethan, my oldest had gum surgery yesterday. And as we were driving out there, the, this idea of B movies comes up, you know, like straight to DVD. And he was questioning like, why do people even do this? How do they make money? So I'm trying to explain the concept. I have sat through so many terrible straight to VHS movies when I was a kid and I still finished them even though they were garbage. You have to. Yeah. You're, you get invested and you've got to finish and there's some redeeming value. There was like, that's so that's why you have to finish this book because yeah, there's some redeeming value. I don't know what it is or where it is, but right. It could be the last line of the book and you'll go, Okay, there it is. There's been some nuggets. That was his, his view on marriage borders on misogyny. And I you but it, he's but it's you know it was written like 15 years ago. I think the church was still reconciling women in faith at that time. So I think he's he's kind of still stuck in that mindset. Um you know they he doesn't quote the weaker vessel to mean that they're he says I don't mean this in a derogatory term, but he like digs all into the weaker vessel scriptures. Um but there's been some stuff on just how to outserve your wife that I thought were really good. And being an African-American, he has a way of writing to other young African-Americans that I think could really, I think probably has impacted a lot of lives, like in a really good way. Um, I think, and I'm no expert. We've, we talked about this, like I'm an expert because I'm going to tell you what I think, but I know I'm not an expert because I know I'm wrong, but his, his theology, I think, is misguided at times. That's my beef with it. But yes, you're right. There's there's going to be value in it at some level, even if the value is, I know what I don't like. I love Marie right. Kondo in her stuff when she's like, just uh, thank it for, for teaching you what you don't like. Right. And there's truth in that, right? Sometimes you got to experience the bad so you know it's good. Yes. Okay. Are we ready for a segue? You, uh, yes. Okay. No. Anyway, so so uh, I just want to I rec- I highly recommended like of all the books I've ever read that one shoots immediately to the top, the top of my yeah. highly recommend list. Um, it's it's life changing, mm-hmm. right? I was walking, I was listening to it one day as I was walking um, for lunch. I usually take a thirty minute break and walk around the walk the dog around the block, right? Um, so I'm walking around the block and there's a black gentleman that lives up around the corner from us and he's out in the driveway kind of washing his car polishing his car and i like as i'm walking by and i'm listening to the book as i'm walking by i as i'm approaching him like we always like make eye contact and there's usually a nod or smile or hey how you doing um but i literally like just wanted to run up to him and hug him hug him i know right and i was like okay that's not the answer and that would be really (laughs) weird um but it was just like a, just a whole new level of understanding and compassion. And like the truth of the matter is I didn't get it. I still don't get it because at the end of the day, I'm still white and my experience is still going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so as much as I can try and understand and try to be compassionate, the fact of the matter is I don't get it and I never will fully. Right. There are things that I can just never fully grasp and never right. fully understand. And no matter how much information and knowledge that I have about those situations, I still can't experience them in the same manner as somebody of color would experience them. And I think, um, but I'm di- but it's I'm different. It's different, yeah. like the way that I view people, and not just people of color, but people, 
right? It, it really opens your eyes to the, to the realization that everybody's experiencing something mm-hmm. and everybody's not you and everybody doesn't run their life through the same filter that you run your life through and your experience through and everybody's outcome is, is different. So right. it's made me, it's put me in a position where I feel like I have to be, and I, right. This is something that I believe comes with Jesus, but it's, I feel like even more enlarged for me now as just being able to look at people and their experiences in their life and, and look at them through it, through a more compassionate lens. Right. And I think that's the, I think you're, 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 you're hitting the nail on the head. I think what happens with reading a book like cast or, or, or really coming coming to terms with how bad racism and, and the caste system and how, how, you know, people like to say that institutional racism isn't a thing. And I'm here to tell you it's a hundred percent a thing. What the tendency is to go, okay, so, so now I'm, I'm, you know, my eyes have been opened. I'm awakened to this new reality. Am I supposed to feel guilty? And no one is saying that you should right. feel bad. You should think it's horrible. Those are totally appropriate things. But the most important takeaway is what you're saying is to treat people with compassion and to not forget it happened, right? Like when you think about how Germany has handled the fall of Nazi Germany and the things that they've done, they do not honor Nazis, but they honor the victims in a way that is even depressing. And we talked about this, I think, when I was talking about cast, but they honor the victims of the Holocaust in a way that's really difficult to, to handle as a way to not forget what happened. And I think that's the most important thing. So instead of statues to Confederate generals, let's have statues to slaves who were brave. Let's have statues to all the slaves. Let's have statues commemorating the horribleness of owning people. And that's what terrifies me the most when I read a book like Cast is if you put me 200 years ago, would I be just as bad as anybody else during that time? Would I justify owning people through my religion? Would I justify it through faith? Oh, it's so, ugh, that book, man, Right, it wrecks you. Yeah, no, it wrecks you and it's ugly and it's an ugly, it's a very ugly truth, but it really, for me, really opened my eyes to, right, to a lot of things. I was I was sharing with Crystal the other day at Rosa Parks. I was like, you know, when you're in school, when you're in grade school and they talk about Rosa Parks and how brave it was for her, like, you know, take that seat in the white section of the bus. And you have to be appalled, number one, that there's a white section on Mm -hmm. the bus. (laughs) But given what they teach you about racism and slavery and those, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Segregation makes sense, given that context. So I'm like, I'm like, you know how they tell you about Rosa Parks and how she was this tired old lady and she didn't want to walk to the back of the bus. And, and I was like, you have to realize like it was even that is a, is a, even that is a whitewashed story. That's not what happened. <laughs> right. The fact of the matter is it wasn't about her being a tired old lady and having seat in the white section of the bus. Black people were not allowed to walk through the white section of the bus to get to the back of the bus. They literally had to get on the bus, pay their fare, get off the bus, and then run to the back of the back door of the bus before it leaves. (laughs) Yeah. So now when you look at Rosa Parks in that context, you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's not that this tired old lady was being stubborn and decided she was just going to sit down because she was too tired to walk to the back of the bus. This old lady was too tired to have to walk the six or seven miles home because the asshole bus driver was going to leave her there because she was a black woman. Well, and then they don't really couldn't walk through the white section of the bus. Right. And then what they kind of leave out and they gloss over is that the penalty that she could have paid for sitting in the front wasn't just being chastised. or They literally could have made a case. Oh, she could have paid with her life. Yeah. Absolutely. And people died for less back then. I mean, black people died for less back then. Right. It's 
the, when, she, when Isabel tells stories of the crowds that would gather for a lynching, it just, it's mind boggling. Oh my goodness, dude. They publicized them. Yeah. So-and-so is being hung in the town square tomorrow. And I'm and, all about hanging. I'm all about hanging people in the town square. I think we should do that today. Um, but seriously, <laughs> for, giving a, for giving a little white girl flowers. You think we should hang people in the town square? I think that we should. I think that the death penalty should be enforced for everything. <laughs> I think if you jaywalk, you should be hung in the town square. Why? If the penalty for jaywalking was death, would you do it? No. Exactly. But the, do you want to live in that kind of world? That no, weird. but how long would we have to do it for? How many people would have to be hung for jaywalking before nobody ever jaywalked again? There's a science fiction story in here. Now, I don't like, really think that we should hang people for jaywalking, um, but I do believe that our criminal justice system is not strict enough or severe enough or well for um, white people or <laughs> touche right I, there's I, there's truth in that um all different conversation but oh. yeah i don't really think that we should hang people for jaywalking however right i don't think i think that part of the reason that criminal criminal crime is so rampant in america is because we don't penalize it Right, you do something bad, you go to jail for the night, you're automatically released in the morning, and you go do it again. I can't tell you how many times here in Spokane over the last several months. Um, we have uh, there's a there's a Facebook page called Spokane News, and they basically it's a couple of guys that sit around the the scanner, the scanner, and like publicize everything that's happening on the scanner. And then they fill in with information, more and more information as it, as it comes in and as it's received. But it's like, are these day-to-day crimes that are being committed are the same people, right? So-and-so was arrested for domestic battery. Um, and he's a 13 time felon who was arrested for the exact same thing two days ago, but he's back out and, and beating the same ex-girlfriend two days later. And it's over and over. And, and come on. Well, we're not, I have opinions on this. I'm not we're sure not, if he should be hung in the town square. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to table our criminal justice stuff for another conversation. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, that's I I say it with a grain of salt. I don't think our the justice system is severe well, enough. I I understand that you can't just shoot people on the street for committing crimes. And I would be dead, by the way, right. because I would have been killed for jaywalking a long time ago. It's sort of like um, I, it always that reminds me of stories that you know happen in the New Testament when somebody would say like, "Hey, they tried to ask either they they were trying to challenge his knowledge or they were trying to figure out like how far." How, how much can I get away with? And it was always like, okay, so, you know, can I do this? Or how, how much of this can I do before it's wrong? And when they asked Jesus about, like, infidelity, and he, he just goes so far, he's like, well, if you even think about another woman, you've committed infidelity. So, and you're like, oh, so I guess hanging people in the town square for like minor offenses isn't that far off from a Jesus line of thinking. His point is different. His exactly. Point, his point is different. His point is it's a heart issue. It's not a, it's not a, how much can I get away with issue? <laughs> right. And obviously I'm making it a, how much can I get away with issue, but, but how much can I get away with leads to caste systems in America? Yeah. Well, and that's because what it comes. That's down. exactly what it came down to: was how much can I get away with? Yeah, yeah, totally. And then not only, and then once you got, not only did you get away with brutally victimizing these people, but it was celebrated and encouraged, right? And that not only becomes how much can I get away with? But now, now you're not getting away with it. You're being, you're becoming a hero for it. Oh, that's just, uh, it's it was awful. Yeah, absolutely mind-blowingly awful, and we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg. No, and that's the thing. And you made this point just a little bit ago about, like, you know, the Rosa Parks story and what we knew growing up. And and 
I mean, there's a significant, I mean, they say something, it's, it's by 2040 or 2050, whites will no longer be the, the majority in this country. So we're not that far off, right? A couple of decades, tw- less than 20 years. And yet, if you are brown or black or a person of color in this country, and you read our history book, you are not in that history. And you're not in that history in a meaningful way. And when you are in that history, it's been completely abused to fit a white narrative. And well, that's the, the saddest part is that in 20 years, when white people are no longer the dominant color in America, we'll still be the dominant race. In oh, America. it'll just be apartheid or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, well, that comes well, at you, you well, made. We'll still be the ruling class. Well, that's what you and said. I'm not, you said. And I'm you, not saying that to celebrate it. I'm saying that because you, that's gross. Well, yeah. You, well, you said that. You said, you know, it's 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 dominated by whiteness. And I'll tell you, you look at our lawmakers and it's dominated by male whiteness. Uh, women only make up something like 23% of people serving in Congress and only 25% of the Senate. So never, never mind people of color. And I don't mean that. In a, I mean, let's put set that aside. Right you still have a, a vast majority of them being women. So it's still a male-driven narrative and it's still largely a white male-driven narrative. And if you look at the changes to voting laws, and I don't even care where you stand on this, the things that are happening with voting laws are gross and they're wrong and they're designed to keep people of color from voting. And that fear comes from, and she mentions this in cast, that when the white people are no longer the ruling class, we will be treated as poorly as we treated people of color. And we should be. I don't disagree with that. I, I hate that I, for my kids. I shouldn't say that we should be because we shouldn't be. And I would hope that if that's the case, that they are much more, com- those ruling people are much more compassionate than we were as a ruling people. Um, but it would be justified. Oh, it just makes it would absolutely turn. be justified. And that's right. That's, I don't know. I agree. It's, I don't want to like, celebrate i don't want to celebrate us and like pat ourselves on the back like look at how cultured we are now and how educated but i do want to point out especially to people who might be listening to this who are just turn they're stuck they're just rolling over like they can't like when i talk about you know blue lives matter and when we talk about voting laws and if you're just pounding your fist on the table and you don't agree with us what i'm saying is you need to be having conversations like this like you and i are having more how many times over the years, without even reading books like Cast, have you and I challenged each other on a preconceived notion of something that we thought was true, and it took us pushing on each other to go, it's not true. I mean, you and I over the years have talked about homosexuality, LGBTQ, and, and where that fits into the narrative, trans people, all of it. We're better for it. These conversations make you better, even if you don't agree, even if you, even if you don't agree with me, even if you don't I'll agree go. with Jason. I'll go one farther. Um, if you're listening to this and you're pounding your fist on the table because you disagree, let us know because I'll put you, I'll put you on this show and we'll have the conversation together. Well, totally. And here's the thing. I'll tell you this. You tell me, you want to tell me it's not okay to love a trans person or to treat them with dignity and respect or not love an LGBTQ member of that community with love and respect. And I'll tell you, I guarantee when I get to heaven, Jesus isn't going to condemn me for being nice to them. Jesus isn't going to be like, okay, let's ignore your 20s, Josh, and the dumpster fire that that was. Let's ignore how awful you were at times in your marriage. But let's talk about how, how mean you were to trans people and let's celebrate that. Like, are you kidding me? I, I, my brain can't even... Your one mission is to love people if you're a Christ follower. It's it. That's it. Love people. Love them selflessly. And if you can't do that and you're pounding your fist on the table this during this, I mean, my kids are even smart enough to know when people aren't actually Christians because of the way they treat people. If you, if you're not nice to people who are experiencing homelessness, if you're not nice to drivers on the road, and this is coming from somebody, I yell at drivers. I don't have road rage, but I'll say, I don't yell. What I do is I'll say something like when somebody's struggling with a decision on the road or, or a choice that they've made, I like, I try, I try to do it where I'm encouraging, like, go on, you can do it. But it's still, it's mean. I'm still not, I don't have like love in my heart for them. I'm annoyed by their behavior. 
my my wife has changed the way that I handle those situations. I have a tendency to be really annoyed at people that people that drive like quickly or radically or make mm-hmm. decisions that don't seem like they're wise decisions and mm-hmm. cut people off. And um, we were driving home one day and I, this guy in front of us was just being an idiot on the freeway. And I was getting really irritated about his inability to drive and was letting him know because for some reason, buying the wheel of a car, we're all Expert. incredibly incredible and angry. I think for some reason we all become extremely angry. Oh, and Crystal just kind of looks at me and she was like, maybe he has to poop. <laughs> <laughs> and it completely changed the way I think about people that drive like idiots. I mean, we've all been there. Where you maybe they're racing home to the toilet. <laughs> like, everybody get out of that guy's way because he's got to go. Oh my gosh. Right. And 90% of the time, I'm sure that's not 99% of the time. I'm sure that's not the case. But if you look at it through that lens, like you can't help but feel bad for that person. Oh my gosh. I'm stealing that. My kids will get a kick out of that. Maybe they just have to poop. Maybe I think they just have to poop. What happens when they're going slow though? Is it like they they clearly, they just did. They just did. And they don't, they they don't, there's no urgency. It's relief. They're just like, uh ah, they just took a poop of a lifetime. Oh don't think that's God. the transition we were looking for. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to segue into what I was planning on talking about. I knew you wanted to talk about cast. I knew we couldn't I, not talk I, about it. We could you, not. You messaged me over the break. We were chatting. We were texting. We were trying to have an offline get together. It didn't happen because of spring break. But you, I knew you were had read it or reading it. I knew it was going to come up. Um, I do want to, I kind of solve my own problem. And I think it's, it's a good tee up for the next conversation. Maybe, I don't know, we tend to change our minds around this, but I wanted to just, I, I, I think when, when we were closing the last podcast, I, I mentioned like prayer and my questions yes. around prayer and Andy Stanley just did a huge series on how to pray. And he basically, he basically the whole time. So if you're, if you're taking notes, if you're listening, he, he, he points to two, two series of scriptures and it's Matthew six, five and Luke 11, two. And this is where the disciples are following Jesus and they notice that he prays and they notice that he's praying differently. And they ask him to teach them how to pray. And he starts by telling you some things not to do, which is don't be obnoxious about it. Don't, don't pray publicly. Don't pray for reward. Don't use big words, you know, do it privately, quietly. And that's, I get behind that hundred percent. I think that's hundred percent right. I think, and you know, those people who like pray for the accolades, they're like, look at how good I am at praying. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, it's so funny because anytime I've been asked to like say grace or pray, I, I cringe if people give me compliments. Cause like, I don't, I don't want to be good at, it. I'd rather be bad at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd rather like, boy, you could use some help. Like here's some scriptures <laughs> to help. Anyway, the, to, to get to the gist, Jesus basically says, you pray to your father in heaven and you, and, and you start by worship. Then he says, you come set up your kingdom so that everyone on earth will obey you as you are obeyed in heaven. So he starts with worship your father, ask for obedience then he says, give us our food for today, which Andy, and then give us our daily bread. We all know that line. Right. Which Jesus, which Andy Stanley theorizes is that if we have too little, we won't appreciate it. If we have too much, we also like, if we have too little, we'll be, we'll be like, we'll be upset. Right. We'll be mad at God kind of thing. And if we have too much, we won't feel like we need God. So that was a whole interesting thing. Then he says to go on to forgive us for doing wrong. So forgive us and, and allow us to forgive others. So it brings up the importance of forgiveness. And then the last one is like a prayer for help. Keep us from being tempted and protect us from evil. So my beef isn't with that. I think it's great because you could fill in the blanks. You could spend the whole first line, our father in heaven, help us to honor your name. You could spend that whole first line worshiping God for and just being thankful. Then, you know, being that obeying part, you could go through all the things that you need to work on in your own personal life, right? What I struggle with is Jesus goes, I don't remember if he says it beforehand or if he says it after, but he basically says, don't ask God for stuff. He already knows. 
and it and I and I think especially in, in in America, our tendency is to pray prayers of ask like, hey, we need help with this this challenge, this obstacle, this thing. And it's how I largely pray with my kids is, you know, what, you know, if they've got a physical ailment, we're praying for healing, we're doing all those things. And I realized that my prayers with my kids are all a lot of these asking prayers. And I know I've been taught through other scripture to, to pray not that way. So I, I struggle with that. And I'm wondering if there's another way, if there was another way to pray or if Andy's getting it wrong. So Andy, is Andy wrong when he says, you know, when he, when he points to Matthew 6, 5 and Luke 11, 2 with this template that Jesus gives you? So I started looking into it. I thought, okay, so I've been taught that you shouldn't necessarily, or Andy's teaching, don't necessarily pray asking for things. Don't necessarily pray. And Jesus says, don't pray, you know, these prayers of requests. You you pray different stuff. And I just thought, I know through church, I know through the books I've read. And and I mean, I, one of my favorite books of all time, I have it sitting here, is Moving Mountains by John Eldridge, which is like this whole book on how to pray. And basically, the book should be one chapter. I mean, according to Andy, the book should be one chapter. Here's the template Jesus gave you, and this is everything you need to go. So it really challenged me. So I started looking into it. And I was looking for only New Testament scripture because if Jesus came and set a new covenant, it basically means the Old Testament historically is just there for us to, to, to understand, but isn't really meant for, for spiritual teaching in that way. So I look at, there's Philippians 4, 6, which says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So this is after Jesus. Then there's also John 15, 7, where Jesus says, stay joined to me and let my teachings become part of you. Then you can pray for whatever you want and your prayer will be answered. And it hit me. It hit me. If you follow the original template that Jesus gives you on how to pray, when you fast forward to the part where I think it's Paul writing to the Philippians says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. If you're running that through the context of Jesus's template, that everything that you'll be praying for isn't a list of wants and needs in the physical life. It's worshiping your God and it's asking him to fix everything that's broken in you and giving you the power to forgive others. That's the everything. So when Jesus says, stay joined to me and let my teachings become part of you, he's referencing back in time when I taught you how to pray, let that template become part of you then you can pray for whatever you want. If that template's part of you, what you want will be help from your father to make changes and your prayers will be answered. He will answer that prayer and help you make the change in your life, which is such a bummer because I think most Christians, especially in America today, our belief is that I just need to have this laundry list of things that I need God to fix in my life and, and Jesus to come help me with. And I just have to pray over that instead of going, God knows all that stuff. He knows everything. He's a good father. He, he wants those things for you, but his template for you is to come to him and say, you're amazing. I need to worship you. And then I need you to fix these things that are broken in my life, which, oh, by the way, might cure some of these real world ailments. It doesn't mean you're going to get rich overnight and become a millionaire, but it might mean you stop having those same problems that you keep having over and over again because they're behavioral. Did that make any sense? I just that makes you, perfect sense. There's you. a, uh, there's a, there's a scripture and I can't remember the beginning part of it. Um, but the second part of the scripture, I should remember it because I should know it. Well, dude, I had to write um, it down. I have a notebook right here. Like I'm showing it to Jason cause we can see each other. But like, for those of you listening, I, I literally had to make notes for this discussion because I knew I, I'm not the person who can remember scripture off the top of my head. Uh, it's in, it's in Psalms. So there's a Psalm that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. Right. So for years, I was like, for years, God was my genie. Yeah. Right. So he be, he was like, if I love God and obey God, then he'll give me all of the things that I ask for, right? The desires of my heart. What is it that I really, really truly want? And I came to this realization in my walk a few years ago that 
the things that I really, really, truly wanted weren't the same things that I really, really, truly wanted when I first started loving and following Jesus. Right. So there had been this shift in my life of what was valuable, what was important, what was desirable. And like that hit you, it hit me that if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you truly love and obey Jesus and Jesus commands, your heart changes and the things that you desire are no longer your things, but his. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you. And the, and oh, the desires of your heart then become things that don't, the desires of your heart don't become things, right? You're no longer praying for a better car or a bigger house or more money in your bank account or a hot chick to love me or those those carnal desires right? right they become things like compassion and right i pr- i pray more often for joy than for anything else that i can possibly list that's funny right? if, i pray if more there's a for list, like fixing myself right <laughs> i have to just accept that i'm screwed up and i need to be satisfied with that so if i can be joyful in my screwed upness right. then bring it on right but the desires of your heart change the things that you pray for change it doesn't right. become a laundry list of wants. it becomes right an opportunity for you to align yourself with the heart of god yeah and make those things that he wants your wants and you can work together to make the world a better place. I'll, I'll, so I'll, I'll give you, this is the, the example that I see happen a lot and it happened a lot for us and it's, it's always tied around money and, and you'll hear it said by a lot of, of teachers and leaders in the church that Jesus talks more about money than like almost anything else um, uh, next to like love. And maybe that's not true, but the Bible does talk a lot about money. And so I know for a lot of people, finances are like a tough thing. And so it's really easy to get swept away. Like you said, like, you know, Psalms and, um, and some of the other scriptures pray for everything. Right. And, and to miss the thing. And I will tell you this brutally, honestly, when, when 15 years ago, when Natalie and I were dating and we started coming to church and then I got, you know, resaved or however you want to phrase that we were financially in in a much different position. We weren't making as much. It was a recession. So little things like a car breaking down seem monumental. And we prayed a lot over our finances and over our money. And while we are doing better now from just a pure dollars and cents standpoint, what has changed more is not so much the money. It's my mindset. It's, I don't pray so much about money and reward. I made, I made this deal with Jesus a long time ago, especially when he was, when I realized he was moving me into starting my own business that if I'll worry about serving others in my business, he'll worry about the rest and he's never proven me wrong. But what happens is my mindset around the car breaking down is different because my behavior is different. Jesus has changed how I handle money, how I handle tragedy and, and obstacles and how I handle calamity. When it happens, my mindset is different. It's not that it happens any less frequently than it did 15 years ago. It's that my behavior has changed. Also, if you obey Jesus's teachings, you should become better in a lot of areas because you're asking him to help you get better in areas. So instead of saying, give me more money, you pray for my weaknesses, money, help me be better about money. And over time, try, my car doesn't break down any less now than it did 15 years ago. It's just different now when it happens. And that's, I think the large point you and I've been making through this whole podcast is real world is still the real world. And it still happens all around me. Jesus didn't create this magical bubble that I live in, in this sphere. And he's now this secret genie. And all I have to do is pray and all my wishes come true. It's that you have a different filter and a different context for running through these things and a different perspective. And you, I think you said it so well, when you say, I pray more for joy than anything, what kind of person Will you be, if your first thought every day is to ask Jesus for joy, do you think you're going to be a more joyful person over time? Probably, (laughs) you know, and I think just uh, church in America overcomplicates things and makes it so much more difficult. 
And it makes me realize I have to like shift how I pray with my kids because I want them to know how to pray right. And now that I know that I have to go back and read John Eldridge's movie mountains again, because he goes into the spiritual warfare thing, which is not, it's there's, there's a lot of truth in that, but I want to know now that I have this different mindset around how Jesus taught us to pray, where is maybe John even missing the mark? Well, and John may not be missing the mark. Um, There's a, there's a difference, right? Jesus was talking to his immediate 12 guys and they're right. like, Hey dude, you do this thing and we're not very good at that. And right. I know we're Jews and we're supposed to have been good at that, but we really kind of, we're really kind of oddballs and right. have missed the mark on that. So how do we do it? So Jesus was teaching to, um, right. They were basically babies in their faith. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though they'd been Jewish their whole life, they weren't very good at being Jewish. Um, so they were right. They were still young in their faith. They were still babies in their faith. They didn't have a whole huge level of maturity. Right. Uh, Eldridge, on the other hand, and Moving Mountains is written to people that are much, you're, you don't pick up Moving Mountains and read that for the first time because you've been a believer for six days. Right. I mean, it is a heavy, complicated, um, deep, read um so it's intended audience i believe is for people that are much more mature in their faith their prayers are going to be much deeper and much more complex um, brush I up think, on your lord of the rings before you I read think, it yeah, and brush up on your lord of the rings i think jesus and his t- the lord's prayer that template that he gives us um is like boil it down to like the most basic prayer structure that you possibly can but it's brilliant Mm-hmm. Um, when I was doing my big fast a couple of years ago, um, that was like my, I woke up, I would wake up every day and that would be like my opening. I'm going to pray the Lord's prayer. And it was word for word the first few days, right? I literally would open to the scripture, to the part in the Bible. And I would literally just read through it, mm-hmm. um, and pray through it. And then after probably the first week or so, I started to kind of adapt it. I wouldn't say adapt it. I started to pray it in my own words, but mm-hmm. I was still praying through the same portions. Um, and by the end of that 35 day period, it was, it was almost second nature. So mm-hmm. it was like what I'm, I'm pre- that's my prayer, but it's my words, my way, my thoughts. And as, as opposed to just reciting this thing, Right. It was being able to pray through that template and pray through the Lord's prayer. But, mm-hmm. but in my words, in my terms, in the way that I would do that, but it was so powerful for me. And it was such a good tool to kind of learn just like a base. Like, how do I, how do I ground myself in this prayer and then develop that and move forward? So I think the Lord's prayer and Jesus's template, I think were for beginners, for, for people that are newer in their faith. And then Eldridge and moving mountains is right. For people that are much more mature in their faith and have years and years of that understanding behind them. Right. And one thing I want to be really clear about, and and Andy doesn't do this and, and maybe he's got his reasons, but I am of the belief that there's, if whether you're six days into your faith or or six years or sixty years, I think God and G, they're just craving time with you. So if your prayers are a laundry list of things that you need them to do in your in your life, you know my water heater went out and I don't have the money for it. Don't stop doing that if that's where you are. My point was, and I hope the takeaway was, as I learn and read scripture and am introduced to thoughts and ideas from other thought leaders, I didn't just take Andy's word for it. I dug into the scripture. I looked at different versions of, of the scripture. Right. I, I love the contemporary English version or the CEV. It's written in a way that my brain processes. And then I looked to supporting scripture. That's the journey. So I don't want anybody to go, oh my gosh, I'm praying wrong. Because if you're spending time with God, that's you're, that you're getting it right. You know, if you're making dedicated time to talk to Jesus in the name of the father, you're getting it right. So I think that's, I think that not only is that my point for that, but also probably a good place to pause. I have to run. I have to do things. We have to do things. But right, we're a little long today. So yeah, that's okay. I'm sure the audience doesn't okay. mind. Um, I've prayed this out like the last few times. Do you want to pray us out this time? 
I would love to. Okay. Uh, dear Lord, just thank you, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity, Lord, to get together today. Um, thank you for continuing to bless us, continuing to bless our families, Lord. Thank you for blessing this podcast, Lord, and the people that we are reaching, the people that we are listening. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this platform so that we could hopefully be a benefit to someone somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for continuing, Lord, to to expand and thank you for continuing to teach us, mm-hmm. continuing to expand our knowledge base and our mm-hmm. understanding, not only, Lord, of of the world and the world around us, Lord, but of your very real and intimate relationship with that world. Um, Thank you, Lord, for this journey. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. We will see y'all next week. Amen. See you next week. All right. All right.